0: Thank you for joining us at The Quiet Corner Bedtime Stories, a peaceful podcast for relaxation and sleep. I'm Annie, and along with my co host Eamon, we read you some of our favourite classic stories to help you relax and fall asleep. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at The Quiet Corner Bedtime Stories. You can also follow us and leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast. It's a chance to tell us what you love about the show and it helps others discover it too. We love hearing from you and your feedback helps us choose what you like to listen to and how to improve this podcast. Thank you to all our listeners. Your support is much appreciated. Tonight, we are back to reading Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery, after a brief break of reading Christmas stories. I will give you a bit of a catch-up. Anne Shirley arrived at Green Gables, an imaginative and spirited young orphan. We have seen her lose her temper and apologise, attend a church picnic and eat ice cream for the very first time. She also made a bosom friend in her neighbour from Orchard Slope, Diana Barry. In the last episode, Chapter 15, Anne started school and made many new friends. But is not overly fond of her teacher, Mr Phillips. Diana tells Anne about the most handsome boy in school, Gilbert Blythe. Anne agrees that he is handsome, but is uninterested in him. Intrigued by the new girl who won't look at him, Gilbert pulls Anne's braid and calls her carrots. Anne's temper flares and she jumps up, smashing her slate over his head. Anne vows never to talk to Gilbert Blythe ever again. Now it's time to relax. Snuggle up under your favourite blanket and forget about all your worries from the day as you listen to tonight's story. Avonlea scholars often spent noon hour picking gum in Mr Bell's spruce grove over the hill and across his big pasture field. From there, they could keep an eye on Evan Wright's house, where the master boarded. When they saw Mr Phillips emerging therefrom, they ran for the schoolhouse, but the distance being about three times longer than Mr Wright's lane, they were very apt to arrive there, breathless and gasping some three minutes too late. On the following day, Mr Phillips was seized with one of his spasmodic fits of reform and announced, before going to dinner, that he should expect to find all the scholars in their seats when he returned. Anyone who came in late would be punished. All of the boys and some of the girls went to Mr Bell's spruce grove as usual, fully intending to stay only long enough to pick a chew But spruce groves are seductive and yellow nuts of gum beguiling. They picked and loitered and strayed, and as usual, the first thing that recalled them to a sense of the flight of time was Jimmy Glover shouting from the top of a patriarchal old spruce, Master's coming. The girls, who were on the ground, started first and managed to reach the schoolhouse in time, but without a second to spare. The boys, who had to wriggle hastily from the trees, were later. And Anne, who had not been picking gum at all, but was wandering happily in the far end of the grove, waist-deep among the bracken, singing softly to herself, with a wreath of rice lilies on her hair, as if she were some wild divinity of the shadowy places was latest of all. Anne could run like a deer, however, And run she did, with the impish result that she overtook the boys at the door and was swept into the schoolhouse among them, just as Mr Phillips was in the act of hanging up his hat. Mr Phillips' brief reforming energy was over. He didn't want the bother of punishing a dozen pupils, but it was necessary to do something to save his word. So he looked about for a scapegoat and found it in Anne, who had dropped into her seat, gasping for breath with her forgotten lily wreath hanging askew over one ear and giving her a particularly rakish and dishevelled appearance. "'And Shirley, since you seem to be so fond of the boys' company, we will indulge your taste for it this afternoon,' he said sarcastically. "'Take those flowers out of your hair and sit with Gilbert Blythe.' The other boys snickered. Diana, turning pale with pity, plucked the wreath from Anne's hair and squeezed her hand. Anne stared at the master as if turned to stone. Did you hear what I said, Anne? queried Mr Phillips sternly. Yes, sir, said Anne slowly. But I didn't suppose you really meant it. I assure you, I did. Still with the sarcastic inflection which all the children, and Anne especially hated. It flicked on the roar, obey me at once. For a moment Anne looked as if she meant to disobey, then realising that there was no help for it, she rose haughtily, stepped across the aisle, sat down beside Gilbert Blythe and buried her face in her arms on the desk. Ruby Gillis, who got a glimpse of it as it went down, told the others going home from school that she had actually never seen anything like it. It was so white with awful little red spots in it. To Anne, this was as the end of all things. It was bad enough to be singled out for punishment from among a dozen equally guilty ones. It was worse still to be sent to sit with a boy. But that, that boy should be Gilbert Blythe, was heaping insult on injury, to a degree utterly unbearable. Anne felt that she could not bear it, and it would be of no use to try. Her whole being seethed with shame and anger and humiliation. At first the other scholars looked and whispered and giggled. But as Anne never lifted her head, and as Gilbert worked fractions as if his whole soul was absorbed in them, and them only, they soon returned to their own tasks, and Anne was forgotten. When Mr. Phillips called the history class out, Anne should have gone, but Anne did not move. And Mr. Phillips, who had been writing some verses to Priscilla before he called the class, was thinking about an obstinate rhyme, still and never missed her. Once, when nobody was looking, Gilbert took from his desk a little pink candy heart with a gold motto on it, You were sweet, and slipped it under the curve of Anne's arm, whereupon Anne arose, took the pink heart gingerly between the tips of her fingers, dropped it on the floor and ground it to powder beneath her heel, and resumed her position without dining to bestow a glance on Gilbert. When school went out, Anne marched to her desk, ostentatiously took out everything therein, books and writing tablet, pen and ink, testament and arithmetic, and piled them neatly on her cracked slate. What are you taking all those things home for, Anne? Diana wanted to know as soon as they were out on the road. She had not dared to ask the question before. I am not coming back to school anymore, said Anne. Diana gasped and stared at Anne to see if she meant it. Will Marilla let you stay home, she asked. She'll have to, said Anne. I'll never go to school to that man again. Oh, Anne, Diana looked as if she were ready to cry. I do think you'll mean. What shall I do? Mr. Phillips will make me sit with that horrid Gertie Pie. I know he will, because she is sitting alone. Do come back, Anne. I'll do almost anything in the world for you, Diana, said Anne sadly. I'd let myself be torn limb from limb if it would do you any good. But I can't do this, so please don't ask it. You harrow up my very soul. Just think of all the fun you will miss, mourned Diana. We are going to build the loveliest new house down by the brook. And we'll be playing ball next week. And you've never played ball, Anne. It's tremendously exciting. And we're going to learn a new song. Jane Andrews is practising it up now. And Alice Andrews is going to bring a new pansy book next week. And we're all going to read it out loud. Chapter about, down by the brook. And you know you were so fond of reading out loud, Anne. Nothing moved Anne in the least. Her mind was made up. She would not go to school to Mr Phillips again, she told Marilla so when she got home. Nonsense, said Marilla. It isn't nonsense at all, said Anne gazing at Marilla with solemn, reproachful eyes. Don't you understand, Marilla? I've been insulted. Insulted fiddlesticks. You go to school tomorrow as usual. Oh no, Anne shook her head gently. I'm not going back, Marilla. I'll learn my lessons at home and I'll be as good as I can be and hold my tongue all the time if it's possible at all. But I will not go back to school, I assure you. Marilla saw something remarkably like unyielding stubbornness looking out of Anne's small face. She understood that she would have trouble in overcoming it, but she resolved wisely to say nothing more just then. "'I'll run down and see Rachel about it this evening,' she thought. "'There's no use reasoning with Anne now. "'She's too worked up and I've an idea "'she can be awful stubborn if she takes the notion. "'Far as I can make out from her story,' Mr Phillips has been carrying matters with a rather high hand, but it would never do to say so to her. I'll just talk it over with Rachel. She's sent ten children to school, and she ought to know something about it. She'll have heard the whole story too by this time. Marilla found Mrs Rachel Lynn knitting quilts as industriously and cheerful as usual. I suppose you know what I've come about, she said a little shamefacedly. Mrs Rachel nodded. About Anne's fuss in school, I reckon, she said. Tilly Bolter was on her way home from school and told me all about it. I don't know what to do with her, said Marilla. She declares she won't go back to school. I never saw a child so worked up. I've been expecting trouble ever since she started to go to school. I knew things were going too smooth to last. She's so high-strung. What would you advise, Rachel? Well... "'Since you've asked my advice, Marilla,' said Mrs. Lynde amiably. "'Mrs. Lynde dearly loved to be asked for advice. "'I'll just humour her a little at first. That's what I'll do. "'It's my belief that Mr. Phillips was in the wrong. "'Of course it doesn't do to say so to children, you know. "'And of course he did right to punish her yesterday for giving way to temper. "'But today it was different. "'The others who were late should have been punished as well as Anne, that's what.' and I don't believe in making the girls sit with the boys for punishment. It isn't modest. Tilly Bolter was real indignant. She took Anne's part right through and said all the scholars did too. Anne seems real popular among them, somehow. I never thought she'd take with them so well. Then you really think I'd better let her stay home? said Marilla in amazement. Yes, that is, I wouldn't say school to her again until she said it herself. Depend upon it, Marilla. She'll cool off in a week or so, and be ready enough to go back of her own accord. That's what. While, if you were to make her go back right off, T knows what freak or tantrum she would take next and make more trouble than ever. The less fuss made, the better in my opinion. She won't miss much by not going to school, as far as that goes. Mr Phillips isn't any good at all as a teacher. The order he keeps is scandalous, that's what and he neglects the young fry and puts all his time on those big scholars he's getting ready for Queen's. He'd never have got the school for another year if his uncle hadn't been a trustee, the trustee, for he just leads the other two round by the nose, that's what. I declare I don't know what education in this island is coming to. Mrs Rachel shook her head, as much as to say if she were only at the head of the educational system of the province, things would be much better managed. Marilla took Mrs Rachel's advice and not another word was said to Anne about going back to school. She learned her lessons at home, did her chores and played with Diana in the chilly purple autumn twilights. But when she met Gilbert Blythe on the road or encountered him in Sunday school, she passed him by with an icy contempt that was no wit thawed by his evident desire to appease her. Even Diana's efforts as a peacemaker, were of no avail. Anne had evidently made up her mind to hate Gilbert Blythe to the end of her life. As much as she hated Gilbert, however, she did love Diana, with all the love of her passionate little heart, equally intense in its likes and dislikes. One evening, Marilla coming in from the orchard with a basket of apples, found Anne sitting alone by the east window in the twilight, crying bitterly. "'Whatever's the matter now, Anne?' she asked. "'It's about Diana,' sobbed Anne luxuriously. "'I love Diana so, Marilla. "'I cannot ever live without her. "'But I know very well, when we grow up, "'that Diana will get married and go away and leave me. "'And oh, what shall I do? "'I hate her husband. "'I just hate him furiously. "'I've been imagining it all out, "'the wedding and everything.' Diana dressed in snowy garments with a veil and looking as beautiful and regal as a queen and me, the bridesmaid, with a lovely dress too and puffed sleeves but with a breaking heart hid beneath my smiling face and then bidding Diana goodbye. Here Anne broke down entirely and wept with increasing bitterness. Marilla turned quickly away to hide her twitching face But it was no use. She collapsed on the nearest chair and burst into such a hearty and unusual peal of laughter that Matthew, crossing the yard outside, halted in amazement. When had he heard Marilla laugh like that before? Well, and surely, said Marilla as soon as she could speak, if you must borrow trouble, for pity's sake, borrow it handier home. I should think you had an imagination... Sure enough.